Welcome to the East City Wesleyan Church podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you would like to learn more about East City Wesleyan Church, please go to ecw.org.nz for more information. Now, here's your podcast. Scriptures from John 10, 1 to 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that he may have life and have it to the full. A very happy Mother's Day to all the mothers in our midst. It's a shame we couldn't have our Mother's Day high tea today, but I'm looking forward to having it on the 12th of June. Now, it may seem weird to celebrate Mother's Day one month later, but I say, hey, let's celebrate Mother's Day every day. Who's with me? Yeah. Well, today, we are on the second last sermon of our sermon series called The Real Jesus. And this series, as you will be aware, is based on the seven I am statements of Jesus recorded for us in the Gospel of John. Now, if you've never read the Gospel of John before, uh, it's really a a good book to start with um, delving into the Gospels. It's got all the makings of a great novel and many wonderful insights to who Jesus is. Now, the current sermon series we are on now and taking on the I Am sayings of Jesus is obviously meant for us to dive deeper into who Jesus himself is thinks he is. And I want us to remember that this series is happening on the back of our previous sermon series, Almost Like the Real Thing, when we talked about how some of the characters, symbols, and events of the Old Testament point us toward Jesus or find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And I'll say that's why this church, East City Wesleyan Church, believes and attests to the whole Bible as God's word, not just the New Testament, but also the Old Testament together. And together, the Old and New Testaments of the Bible, what we call the scriptures, forms the basis upon which we live our collective communal lives as God's church and how we each live as individual Christians. Now, if you're wondering whether Jesus' I am statements hark back to the Old Testament, they do. 
They mirror the I am statement of God to Moses in the book of Exodus. Some of you may recall the story of Genesis and how God worked through the Jewish patriarch Abraham, promised to give him descendants and make him a great nation. Now, through Abraham came Isaac and then Jacob, and the story kind of gets left hanging after Joseph, who was sold off to Egypt by his brothers, but who got uses and prospers through uh, his time as a slave and then while he was in jail, and then having him advise the king of Egypt and helping Egypt tide through a huge famine. Joseph became the number two man in Egypt. I'm sure you remember the story. Now, during the time of Joseph, the Jews moved to Egypt and prospered there. They lived in harmony with the Egyptians, and they contributed to a nation in which they were foreigners. And this continued for many, many years until the Jews forgot about the Lord their God. And the Egyptians forgot about Joseph. And what happens then is that the Egyptians start to fear the Jews. For the Jews were smart, resourceful, prosperous, and had a really large population in Egypt. So what do they do? They start to enslave the Jews, stripping them of their wealth and putting them to hard labor. As a result, the Jews remembered their God, and they cry out to God for deliverance. Now, it's generally accepted that the time between Genesis and Exodus is about 300 years. Now, I don't know if the Jews were suffering throughout all these 300 years, but the scriptures tell us that they suffered for quite a number of years and through several generations. And in that time, they repeatedly cried out to God to save them. And God heard their cries, and God reached out to Moses, a Jewish boy whom God had strategically placed within the household of the Egyptians. And I'm sure you know the story. Incredible, incredible story, really. But we don't have time today to get into the whole thing. So long story short, as Moses grew up, he realized that he was a Jew, and he started to identify with his fellow Jews. And he felt the injustice of how they were being treated by the Egyptians. One thing led to another. He killed an Egyptian who was hurting a Jew, and he ends up running away to a place called Median. He settles there, gets married, even has a son. And he lived there working for his father-in-law. And then when all seemed like this would just go on, as per normal, forever, God calls out to Moses from a burning bush. And God reminds him of his people, the Jews, suffering in Egypt and calls him to go and tell the new king of Egypt, Pharaoh, to let his people go. And Moses protests he says to God, who am I that the Jews should follow me? Right? Remember that Moses was a Jew, but he grew up as an Egyptian. He enjoyed the luxuries of living in a palace, having sumptuous food and servants tending to him, while his fellow Jews were suffering away. So Moses says to God, why should they follow me? 
And God panders to Moses and replies, Tell them I sent you to them, to deliver them and bring them out of Egypt. And Moses protests again. And he asks God, If they say to me, Who is this God who has sent you? What is his name? What should I say? And God says to him, I am who I am. In other words, God reminds Moses of what Moses already knew intuitively. And that is that God is beyond any label, any category, any name that you can give him. His greatness is beyond measure. His plans, very often beyond our comprehension. His forgiveness, sufficient to remove our sins further than the east is from the west. And his love, wider and higher and deeper than any ocean. And then God says this, and I have it on screen for us to read together. Let's read this. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Again, long story short, Moses goes and does as God instructs him, and God delivers the Jews out of Egypt through Moses. And we have all the wonderful and miraculous stories of the plagues, the passing over of the angel of death, the parting of the Red Sea, the pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night, and so on. And all these episodes really become the hallmarks or the pinnacles of faith for the Jews for generations to come. And so the words of God there, this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. That comes true until Jesus. And in this sermon series, The Real Jesus, we have seen, haven't we, how God has chosen to reveal himself through his son, Jesus Christ. We have heard five of the I am statements of Jesus, and I have them on the screen for you as well. And these are amazing, amazing declarations by Jesus himself about who he is. Not only is he God in the flesh, he is the light of the world, the bread of life, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life, the good shepherd we heard about last week as well. Today we look at Jesus as the gate for the sheep. And next week we have Pastor Joey who will close off this series with Jesus as the true vine. And today, I want to share just one main point from this Bible passage. I know some of you might be thinking, really, just one point? What happened to the usual three-point sermon? Well, let's start by reading the first three verses of John chapter 10. Let's read this together. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. 
He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And the main point I want to share with us today is that Jesus is home. Jesus is home. Now, I don't mean that Jesus went home or that you can find Jesus in his home. I mean that Jesus is our true home. In the first century um, culture of the day, agriculture or farming was one of the big businesses. Now, that's probably something we might be familiar with living here in New Zealand. How many of you used to live on a farm or currently live on a farm? Yeah, you might be able to, to give some insights, right, on why Jesus used the analogy of a gate. Now, of all the I am statements, these are, this is one that is quite unique. Jesus compares himself to an inanimate object um, that is really quite unusual for us to wrap our heads around. But from, this is what I've researched and found out. For many shepherds of that time, the sheepfold, or where the sheep slept overnight, was attached to their home. In the morning, the sheep will be led out to the pasture to feed and to roam, but in the evening, they will be led back to the sheepfold to rest and sleep. So to enter the sheepfold or to come through the gate was to come home. And I think that if we bear in mind that in this text of Scripture, and in the chapter just before this, in John chapter 9, Jesus was rejected by the Pharisees. And what happened was this. Jesus healed a blind man who was blind since birth. Right? And this is a very physical description where Jesus spat on the ground, made some mud with his saliva and put it on the man's eyes and told him to go and wash it off in the pool. The man did as he was instructed and he was healed. He could see. Now, the scriptures tell us that this man was famous because he was usually begging in a certain corner of town. And his neighbors recognized him and saw that he could now see. So they took him to the Pharisees to investigate how he got healed. The man testified that someone healed him miraculously. Now, the Pharisees refused to believe it and even got the man's mother to confirm that he was indeed born blind. Now, the Pharisees were furious because the healing was done on the Sabbath. And at that time, they didn't know it was Jesus who healed the man. And they labeled the man's healer as a sinner just because the healing was done on the Sabbath. Now, let's read the formerly blind man's reply to the Pharisees. Let's read this together. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So our passage for today follows right after this encounter that Jesus had with the Pharisees. 
He healed this man, which everyone knew only a man of God could do. Instead of asking and learning from Jesus, instead of recognizing Jesus as the one sent from God, the Pharisees felt threatened and rejected Jesus, not once, but multiple times in the Gospel of John. Now, it would be hard to find a more powerful and contrasting analogy following an outright rejection by the so-called religious leaders of the day that Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter by the, the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Jesus was telling the Pharisees, you think you have the right or the authority to decide who enters the sheepfold. You think you know who should be accepted into the household of God. You assume that you are the rightful shepherds or gatekeepers of God's family, but you are actually thieves and robbers. I am the gate for the sheep. Not only am I their true home, I am the way they enter into the home and are kept safe in the home where they are strengthened, nurtured and equipped to go out into the world again. And so what is the main point for today? Jesus is home. What does that mean? Now three points. There are actually many more, but I'm just going to choose three, all right? Let's read the next two verses, John chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And what do you think of when you hear the word home? Now, here's my first observation. There is always in every home one primary center. And I'll say Jesus is the heart of the home. He is the head, of course, but he is also the heart of the home. Another way of saying it goes like this, Jesus is what makes home, home. And I think this is an apt analogy for Mother's Day as well. Now, George and I are planning a trip back to Singapore and India somewhere in July. And of course, this time we'll be traveling with a toddler for the first time. And Robbie will get to meet his grandparents in all the hype and planning for our trip, we kind of mused and wondered. Now that we have started our own little family and have settled in New Zealand, whether visiting Singapore would feel like I was coming home. I suppose there would be some comfort in the familiarity of Singapore. But in my reflections, I've come to realize that if there was some sort of a homecoming kind of feel, it wouldn't really be because of my loyalty to Singapore, the country, but rather it would be because 
of my mom and visiting her in her home. When I was a kid, I was very close to my mom's side of the family. My mom had four sisters and two brothers. Two have passed on, but three sisters and one brother are still very much a part of her life. I used to observe how my mom and her sisters interacted with their parents. And I remember very fondly, almost every other day, receiving a phone call from my papa, which is the Chinese term for grandma. She's no longer with us, but I remember um, how it was in those days. If my mom picked up the call, they would immediately start conversing very loudly in Cantonese, which is a Chinese dialect. I, I don't know if you have heard um, Chinese people conversing in Chinese dialect. It tends to be really loud. And I would know immediately that either my papa was on the other end of the line or it would be one of the aunties. If I picked up the call, my papa would speak to me in Mandarin, 吃饱没? Mamina? And that basically means, have you eaten? Where's mom? Uh, I also re recall very fondly that my, my papa never said bye or bye-bye or goodbye at the end of her phone call. You would just hear a click, and then, oh, it's over. Okay, cool. <laughs> now, my papa had seven children, and she had this habit of calling each one, well, a few of her children each day. And she really was the center of that family. And I see that today in my mom. Because every few days, I will receive a call from my mom asking how things are, updating me on what's happening with my brother and my sister. And of course, within that, there will be some complaining, there will be some advising, um, and a whole host of other things. But she really is the, the heart of our family, the one who has that close relationship with everyone else and the one who keeps the rest of us together, the one for whom the rest of us will band together to help, to assist, or to celebrate. And I think in the same way, perhaps even more so, that Jesus is the heart of the household or the home of God. It is his relationship with everyone else that makes this household work that binds us to each other. It is his sacrifice that makes it possible for us to be children of God. And it is his mission that we can, as a church, strive for together. Jesus is the head of the home, no doubt about that. But he is also the heart of the home. Now, second, Observation, And I'll go through this very quickly because I realize time is running short. Jesus himself provides the safety, security, and rest for the home. Now let's read from John chapter 10 again. And I have that on the screen for you. Together. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Now, not every sheepfold is safe and secure. I mean, not all have a gate. 
And here Jesus tells us that he is the gate for the sheep. Whoever enters through me will be saved. One Bible commentator compares this saying of Jesus, I am the gate, to I am the good shepherd, and he puts them together this way. Jesus is both the only way a person enters into the people of God and the one who gives his life for the life of the sheep whom he knows and protects. He is the one who gathers the sheep and cares for them, and he's also the means by which they enter and are kept safe. In theological terms, we say that Jesus is the sure way to salvation. And not only is he the way to salvation, which is what we seek and what we all need, he is the one who makes that salvation sure through his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who he gives to us when we become children of God. Now, Apostle Paul explains it this way when he speaks about the death of our physical bodies. He says this, For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Apostle Paul teaches that when our physical bodies die, we will be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Now what is this heavenly dwelling for? You see the, the phrase that swallowed up by life. That is eternal life, salvation, or the resurrection life. We can experience that right now in this mortal body, but we experience it more fully in the perfected and new heavenly bodies that we will be given. And that's not all. Jesus says that he provides the guarantee for our salvation, the Holy Spirit, whom he gives to all who believe him. How wonderful is that? But Jesus does not stop there. He is not only the means by which we attain to salvation, he is also the one who provides the faculties through which we will experience the resurrection life. Today, those who receive Jesus into their hearts and life, those who believe in Christ, those who are children of God, can have and have also received renewed spiritual faculties through which we experience the new life we have in Christ. Now, it is from this salvation, this eternal and abundant life in the sheepfold, that we rest from our work and are strengthened to go out and continue. And that's the last point that I want to share today. Jesus is the food for the home. Now, I know that sounds weird, right? But in so many cultures, food is the one thing that brings people together. I have a whole list of food that I want to eat when I visit Singapore. There's more than 20 items on that list. Now, a shared meal around a table, no matter where you've been in the world, there's nothing like coming home to a warm meal. But that's not all that food does. 
The primary function for food is to provide nutrition and energy. When we come into faith in Jesus and place our trust in him, also known as the process of conversion, something happened in us. We were made alive. The faculties that enable us to perceive the works of the Spirit in our hearts, the spiritual senses that sharpen our minds when we read God's written word, these faculties come alive. The spiritual receptors, if I can call it that, begin to draw in spiritual food and nourishment so that we can grow in Christian faith and so that we can enjoy and experience the abundant life that God has promised to all his children. And so here Jesus is saying that he is the source of that nourishment for our spiritual selves. Let's read the last bit of our scripture text for today. Together. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It was common in Jesus' day for the sheep pen to have only one gateway. And also very common for shepherds of the time to sleep in the gateway, thus acting as the gate itself. So it is plain and easy to see for the sheep in order to enter the sheep pen through the gate is to come home. In the same manner, metaphorically speaking, Jesus is saying that he himself and no other is the means by which the sheep may enter into the promised fullness of life. So Jesus is saying, with the renewed receptors and faculties, don't stop there. Feed on me. I am food for your soul. I am the nourishment that you need to grow spiritually. And we've heard, of course, um, when Pastor Joey preached on Jesus, the bread of life. I am the one who can enable you to experience the abundant life, the eternal life that you have been promised. And so finally, Jesus is the home for our souls. Physically speaking, no matter where we go, no matter where we are in the world, we always return to some kind of a physical home, right? To rest, to experience safety and security and protection, to be accepted for who we are, to find our identities, and of course, to be then rejuvenated for the mission ahead. Similarly, the true and rightful home for our souls is with Jesus and in Jesus. And though we can only experience him in a somewhat redacted way at the moment, we will get to be with him and be at rest with him and experience him fully when our time on earth is done. Now as I close our sermon for today, it might be good to remember that scene that Moses experienced at the burning bush. God chose at that time not to provide a name. He chose to refer to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He chose to be known by the rest of the world by his people, his children, his spiritual household. 
That was how God was known for generations and generations until the fullest revelation of God came, Jesus Christ. So today, think about it, the seven I am statements. Jesus has chosen to identify himself with us, his people, his household, his home. So my friends, church, East City Wesleyan Church, the big question for us this morning, is Jesus your home? Today, as you come to worship in God's house, I want you to know that this local household of God here can be your spiritual home. If you are not already, if we are not already, we want to be your spiritual family. And mind you, we come with all the good and bad that comes with a natural biological family. We will not always agree on everything. And this family is huge, multicultural, multiracial, with people of diverse backgrounds. But we are all children of God. And Jesus is the heart of this home. So church, on this wonderful Sunday morning, I want to say to you, those who are here and watching at home as well, welcome home. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the gate for your sheep. And as we mull over what that means, as we think through what it means to come into your sheepfold, Lord, we know that this is the home that we need to be. This is where you have called us to be. You are calling and beckoning us every week, every day, every moment of our lives into a deeper, more intimate relationship with you and with your people. Lord, as we recognize your work in our lives, we pray, Lord, that you continue to grant us courage, grant us strength, grant us resilience as we go deeper with you and deeper in relationship with each other. Help us to truly, truly be your family, your household. Help us, Lord, to find our home in you. So, Lord, we lift ourselves into your hands, trusting, Lord, that you will continue to speak to us even as we continue the rest of our worship this morning, even as we leave from here this morning, back to the daily grind of life. Lord, don't stop speaking to us and enable us, Lord, to hear you Give us courage to follow you and grant us love for one another that we may truly be your family here on earth. We pray this all in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.